You're listening to Come Follow Me Weekly, a weekly podcast with thoughts and insights for the Come Follow Me lessons of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm your host, Heather Weber. Thanks for being here with me this week. The title of this week's lesson is They Were Steadfast and Immovable, and it covers Mosiah 29 through Alma chapter 4. This episode is going to be coming out a little bit late again today. Our house is a little chaotic right now. Every day we have four people who need to use vehicles, but we only have three vehicles. (laughs) So it's kind of like a Tetris game every day, trying to figure out whose schedules need to go where and where everything's going to fit together so that we can make it all work. But we are making it work and things are going pretty good. My son finished his job taking care of our neighbor's animals. There were no injuries. Everything went fine. So that was good. My daughter, who only had planned on being home for a couple weeks when she came home in April, is going to stay here the whole summer. She found a good job. It's actually her third job in three months because things kept getting canceled because of coronavirus. But I think finally she's found something that's going to work. This is not where she wanted to be or what she wanted to be doing this summer. But one thing we've all definitely learned over the past few months is that sometimes life takes you in a very different direction than you thought you were going to go. But we're all making it. We're doing okay. And I hope that you are too. The opening paragraph of this week's lesson says, Some might see King Mosiah's proposal to replace kings with elected judges as merely wise political reform. But to the Nephites, especially those who lived under wicked King Noah, this change had spiritual significance too. They had seen how an unrighteous king had caused iniquity and great destruction among his people, and that they were exceedingly anxious to be free from such influence. This change would allow them to be responsible for their own righteousness and answer for their own sins. Of course, the end of the reign of the kings did not mean the end of problems in Nephite society. Cunning people like Nehor and Amlici promoted false ideas, nonbelievers persecuted the saints, and many members of the church became prideful and fell away. Yet the humble followers of God remained steadfast and immovable, despite what happened around them. And because of the change enacted by Mosiah, they could cast in their voices to influence their society for good. So this week, we start out with King Mosiah making a few changes in the government of his people. They needed a leader, and Mosiah knew that he wouldn't be around forever, and Mosiah's son, who was the heir to his throne, wasn't available. Mosiah wasn't too excited to appoint anyone else to the position of king, because he knew that you couldn't always guarantee that the king would be righteous, just like they had seen with King Noah. And it might get complicated if Mosiah's son did happen to show up again, so he proposed a new plan. In Mosiah chapter 29, verse 25, he says, Therefore, choose you by the voice of this people, judges, that ye may be judged according to the laws which have been given you by your fathers, which are correct, and which were given them by the hand of the Lord. Mosiah set up a system of judges where things would be decided more by the voice of the people. And Alma, who is Alma the Younger, was appointed to be the first chief judge. So they had this new system of government, and then at the end of chapter 29, it mentions that Alma the Older and King Mosiah have died. So then we move on to the book of Alma. I can't believe that we're already in Alma. (laughs) It didn't take very long into Alma's job as the chief judge to have some issues. In the very first year of the reign of the judges, there was a man who came around named Nehor. And it describes him as a large and physically imposing man. And he also had a way with words and a way with people. And he went around teaching the people that they didn't really need to worry about anything and that everyone would be saved and have eternal life with very little to no effort on their part. And people just loved what he had to say. 
so much so that they started to pay him for his preaching. In Alma chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And it came to pass that he did teach these things so much that many did believe on his words, even so many that they began to support him and give him money. And of course, Nehor thought that this was all right. (laughs) He thought he was pretty awesome, so much so that he ended up establishing his own church that was generating money for him so that he could continue to be popular and support his fabulous lifestyle. (laughs) Well, one day, as he was going around preaching, he met a man who belonged to the Church of God, and they kind of got into it a little bit. And Nehor tried to get this man to come over to his side, but the man would not budge. And this man was Gideon. He was the same Gideon who fought with King Noah and helped Limhi's people. And he had always been a really strong defender of his faith and of what was right. And Nehor got pretty angry with Gideon and killed him. And I've never liked this part of this story because Gideon was so instrumental in so many important events. And then he just dies. And I think it's so sad. (laughs) But he did die defending his faith, which I guess seems appropriate for him, even though it was completely uncalled for. So because of this cruel act, Nehor is brought before Alma, and he's sentenced to death. And it says that he suffered an ignominious death. I looked up that word, and it also means humiliating, undignified, embarrassing, and shameful. And I thought it was interesting that they used that word, because Nehor had been very popular and stylish and had lots of followers, but in the end, none of that mattered and none of that saved him. And Nehor did acknowledge before he died that what he had been teaching was contrary to the word of God, but the damage with the people had already been done, and some of them wanted to follow in Nehor's footsteps. They wanted to spread priestcraft among the people so that they could have riches and honor for themselves. There's a section in the lesson that talks about how we can recognize and reject false doctrine. And it seems like we read over and over in the Book of Mormon how there were certain people who came around and told everyone vain and flattering things that ultimately led them away. And I think that this is very much a problem that we can all have today. As you look at our instant access to pretty much everything and everyone in the world all the time, and it's so easy for anyone to put their voice out there and be heard. (laughs) I know this because I'm one of the people doing it, but we just have to be so careful about whose voices we are listening to. And remember that the Holy Ghost is the ultimate influencer, and the voice of the Spirit is the voice that we should be listening to the most. It talks about how the people of God were steadfast and immovable. I think in order to be like that, we need to know who we are and what we stand for, and then hold on to those beliefs no matter what. And I think that we do that just one choice at a time every single day. In the lesson, it asks why the people might have found Nehor's teachings enticing, And of course, it's enticing to think that we don't really have to worry about the things we do and that it's okay to do things to be noticed and relevant and popular. Nehor's teachings and everyone who teaches ideas like that are enticing because they appeal to the natural man side of us, and we all have that to contend with. And it really would be great if we could make any choice we wanted and not have any negative consequences. But no matter what anybody says, life just doesn't really work like that. I think we know that. And we also know that the natural man is an enemy to God. It's the thing that we spend our whole lives trying to conquer. And the things that appeal to our natural man will never lead us to be better and become what our Heavenly Father needs us to become. In the fifth year of the reign of the judges, we hear about a man named Amlesai. And he was also following in the ways of Nehor. And he was also very smooth and became so powerful and popular that a segment of their population wanted Amlesai to be their king. 
and the people of the Church of God, and even some of those who weren't in the church, were really worried about this because they knew that if Amlicai became king, he would take away their religious freedom, because that really was his end goal, to destroy the Church of God. And there was a lot of political arguing about this, and in the end, when they had a vote, Amlicai lost. So those people who were with Amlicai actually broke off from everyone else and made Amlicai their king and called themselves Amlicites. And Amlicai gathered together an army and ended up going to war with the Nephites. The section of the lesson that talks about this kind of made me laugh. (laughs) Here's what it says in the lesson. There are likely many important issues facing your community. How can you, like the Nephites, make sure that your voice is included in the voice of the people? Perhaps you live in a place where the voice of the people has limited influence on the government. If so, are there other ways you can be a positive influence in your community? I have many thoughts about this, but I'm going to try and not veer off into the weeds. One thing that brings me a lot of peace is the fact that I know that we have a Heavenly Father and that He has a plan. When this was going on in the Book of Mormon, the Lord wasn't wringing his hands, wondering if Amlicai was going to get elected or if the people were going to lose their religious freedom. And he's not wondering what's going to happen right now. Even amidst all of the chaos of the world, it's all part of a greater plan, and I know that. So how do we fit into that plan? There are lots of things going on in the government that I personally can't do anything about. The governor of my state has made rules and regulations that directly affect me, and right now I just have to deal with it. But I think the key is in how I deal with it. I do have a sphere of influence and people that I can influence right where I'm at. And I think of all of us like links in a chain that wraps around the entire world. We have a responsibility to make our link strong. And that strengthens all of the links connected to us so that those links will be strong and strengthen the links connected to them. When we are kind, when we diffuse arguments rather than contributing to them, when we share positive messages, and when we serve and help and interact with people in a peaceful and positive way instead of dwelling on our challenges or the things we currently can't do, we can be a positive influence in our community and strengthen our links. And I think it's also important for us to exercise our right to vote and to really find out about issues in our area and the people running for positions in the government. In the end, we know that our Heavenly Father's team is the winning team. (laughs) We already know the outcome of that. And as long as we stick with Him, no matter what is happening or not happening in our lives, we're going to be okay. The next section of the lesson talks about prosperity. In chapters 1 and 4 of Alma, it talks about different times in the church where people were prosperous, but the outcomes were very different. And my husband and I had quite a conversation about this subject this week. I said that in my opinion, a person who tries their best to live the principles of the gospel will be prosperous, because I feel like the principles of the gospel lead to prosperity. The church teaches us to be self-reliant and to not be idle, to do our best in whatever we're pursuing, and to set goals and constantly try to improve ourselves. And my husband was like, okay, well, I know lots of people who are really good people trying to do what's right, but they're not wealthy people. So what about that? And to me, prosperity isn't just about the size of a person's bank account or your ability to take a yearly trip to Europe or buy a boat. It's about moving forward in your life in a positive way wherever you are at. My son served a mission in Mexico, and in the areas where he was, he said that the people there don't live on month-to-month paychecks, they live day-to-day. And in one of his areas, the church would teach self-reliance classes. And then at the end of the class, the goal was to give every person or every family a chicken. 
because if you had a chicken and you could get it to lay eggs that you could sell, you'd be doing all right. And they were trying to help the people become more independent or to become prosperous in their situation. In Alma chapter 1, it talks about two different groups of people. The people of the church had an abundance of everything they needed, and they shared that abundance with each other. And then there were those who did not belong to the church, and it says that they did indulge themselves in sorceries and idleness and in envyings and strife, being lifted up in the pride of their own eyes. President Nelson said that the Lord loves effort because effort brings blessings that can't come without it. When we try to do what's right and put forth some effort, we are blessed for it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that our bank accounts will be huge or that we won't have struggles in our life because that's also part of what this life's all about. But I do believe that when we put forth our best effort and involve the Lord in that effort, the overall trajectory of our lives will trend upward and we will prosper in whatever circumstances we might be in and our lives can be happy. In Alma chapter 4 verse 8, it says that the people of the church began to be lifted up in the pride of their eyes and to set their hearts upon riches and upon the vain things of the world, that they began to be scornful one towards another, and they began to persecute those that did not believe according to their own will and pleasure. So how do we make prosperity a positive thing and not let the good things that we have or the good results that come out of our efforts go to our head? <laughs> My husband had a great thought. He said, I think the key is remembering where it all comes from. We have everything we have, even our very lives, because of our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ. All good things come from God. And the first thing we need to do when good things happen in our lives is to thank Him for it. And I think if we can get in that habit of having a thought of a quick prayer of thanks for the positive things that happen each day, it helps keep us from getting all puffed up about ourselves and how awesome we are, and to truly remember where our blessings come from. I think having that attitude of remembrance and thanks also makes it easier for us to share what we have and to keep us from setting our hearts upon our riches like it talks about in the lesson. The last section of the lesson talks about how the word of God and pure testimony can change hearts. In chapter 4 of Alma, the Nephites had just come through a pretty awful war, and the people felt like they may have brought their hardships on themselves because of their own wickedness. And it says that they were awakened to a remembrance of their duty. And for a couple of years, things were going okay. But then here we have the pride cycle rearing its ugly head again. And because of their obedience, they started to prosper. And the people once again started to focus on their things and their riches. And they once again started to become proud. In verse 12 of chapter 4, it says that Alma saw great inequality among the people, some lifting themselves up with their pride, despising others, turning their backs upon the needy and the naked and those who were hungry and those who were athirst and those who were sick and afflicted. Alma was pretty distressed about where this was all going, so he decided to appoint a man named Nephiha to be the chief judge, so that Alma could then focus his efforts on being the spiritual leader of the people and on going around to teach them and help them to change. In chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And this he did, that he himself might go forth among his people, or among the people of Nephi, that he might preach the word of God unto them, to stir them up in remembrance of their duty, and that he might pull down by the word of God all the pride and craftiness and all the contentions which were among his people, seeing no way that he might reclaim them, save it were in bearing down in pure testimony against them. So what can we learn from Alma's approach with his people? Alma was the chief judge, and it was certainly within his power 
to just tell the people what to do. <laughs> he could have enacted laws about how people spent their money or enacted severe punishments for anyone found treating other people badly or unfairly. He could have enacted wealth redistribution so that everyone had an equal share of everything. But instead, he chose to focus on teaching people the principles of the gospel. And I think of myself as a parent. If I just tell my kids what to do or give them rules with no explanation other than because I said so and I'm the parent, which is certainly within my rights to do as a parent, versus sitting them down and having a conversation with them and explaining to them what we're doing and why, which way do you think gets better results? Instead of just arbitrarily handing out rules and punishments, I found it works a lot better to teach correct principles. My kids feel respected and included in the conversation, and they're more willing to respect me and my rules because of it. So I think that's one thing we can learn from Alma's approach. And as another example, what if I'm on social media and I post an article that very directly proves my point about my opinion on whatever may be going on in the world? Or what if instead I choose to post a quote about peace or about the Savior or post a link to a conference talk? Which one of those things do you think has a more effective result in touching people's hearts and in the end is more helpful to those who read it? A quote that popped into my head as I was thinking about this part of the lesson is by St. Francis of Assisi who said, Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. When we have the Spirit with us, it touches other people's spirits in a way that just words sometimes can't. The Spirit works on the inside so that we can change on the outside. And as I was thinking about this more, I really think that at least for myself, I underestimate the power of testimony and in using the principles of the gospel in my interactions with people. We need to rise above the worldly way of doing things and remember who we are and what we know and the covenants that we've made and then go forward each day sharing that knowledge and those blessings with other people. And I think if we can do that, we can also stay steadfast and immovable and have a successfully prosperous life. And those are my thoughts for this week. There is so much in this lesson that we could talk about, but these are the things that stood out to me the most. Don't forget that you can find me on Instagram at Come Follow Me Weekly, or you can send me an email at cfmweekly at gmail.com.